Hello and welcome to a new edition of the Parley, the Hindu's weekly podcast. I am Varghese K. George, your host for today. Last week, the government of India prohibited retired officials of security and intelligence organizations from publishing anything about their work or organization without prior clearance from the head of the organization. Serving civil servants are barred from expressing their personal opinion on policy matters and criticizing the government. But once retired, several of them take part in public debates and enrich our conversations. The restrictions now imposed by the government of India are sweeping, though limited to a specific category of officials. In this edition of Parley, we discuss whether there should be any restrictions on the freedom of expression of retired government officials, and if there must be, what should be the limits of such restrictions? How could policy making and public debates benefit from the expertise of retired civil servants? Our guests today have spent decades in civil service. They have held some of the topmost positions in Indian civil service. Both of them continue to actively engage with public policy even after retirement. It's my pleasure to introduce G.K. Pillay, former Home Secretary of India, and Saeed Akbaruddin, who was India's permanent representative to the United Nations. Welcome you both, Mr. Pillay and uh, Ambassador Akbaruddin. Do you think restrictions imposed on retired officials of intelligence and security organizations are justifiable? Mr. Pillai, I'll start with you. See, we have uh, what I call as the Official Secrets Act and officers of the intelligence and security organizations who uh, have been in government in their respective departments are privy to a lot of sensitive information. So uh, uh, the fact that government... uh, need some control over that information leaking into the public is, uh, I think, uh, we all of us in the service, we take that into account. The issue is really uh, now uh, whether uh, it is all information on which there is really not much clarity yet, or is it the sensitive information? And then who decides what is sensitive and what is not sensitive? So uh, these are two uh, critical issues which have come because in the past, if you've seen uh, a number of, I'll possibly mention that uh, later on when it comes, some uh, books, memoirs have been written by, uh, you know, the head of RNDW and uh, so on, uh, where there could be an interpretation that some information which is of a sensitive nature has leaked out, which compromises uh, what shall I say, the interests on the ground. And uh, that is something which, therefore, the government would like to have some control so that existing, say, intelligence uh, security operations are not affected by such leakage of information, perhaps even given out uh, inadvertently. Uh, That is really the issue against, of course, General information, which is, you know, the right to information and uh, which is, gives you that little bit of right, of course, the security agencies are not uh, included in that. But uh, there is this fine balance which has to be struck. And uh, we have so far been managing that. And many uh, retired uh, officers who are in these sensitive organizations actually informally get their drafts vetted by the current uh, 
head of the security services so that uh, there is no information which is of uh, operational nature could get compromised. And therefore, uh, this is something that does take place. The government have now put it in, on, in writing in a formal manner and we have to see how it goes. Right. So you are uh, in favor of some kind of restrictions, but uh, the, the current the, the set of restrictions that have been announced, which are these restrictions will stay for life, and uh, the word sensitive is uh, left uh, uh, left to, left open to definition, uh, which which could be subjective. And uh, also, if one person may have worked in, uh, say, a few of those organizations, uh, how those that, that could be managed. So, if we manage to find answers for all these uh, operational or, or or implementation issues, you are in principle for some kind of government regulation on what uh, is being said by at least officials who are retired from these organizations, right? That is what, yes, in, in, in principle, and I would, I would actually put it in one sense, uh, a little bit of a time limit, if you want to put it, you know, five years from the time you've retired, I think most, by that time, most things, have, a lot of things would have changed, uh, except for certain, as I mentioned, it is the operational uh, information which is actually most sensitive and that is something perhaps even inadvertently uh, you may leave it, you may not think so, but other people uh, in other intelligence agencies read the reports of, uh, you know, our head of uh, RNDW or IB, you know, with a fine tooth comb and if they can find some information which is of use to them, uh, that is something which is to be avoided. Right. So, at uh, that point, I'll, I'll come to you, Ambassador Akbaruddin. So, uh, how do you see it? You've seen, you've been, uh, you've seen uh, in the intelligence officials of countries like United States coming out with uh, nearly tell-all tales about uh, their operations. Of course, it goes through everything. Uh, but do you think, considering the fact that in India, there is no laid down rules on this, uh, and those kind of sensational books are not really the, uh, the 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 very frequent in India. How would you see these restrictions, Ambassador? Um, so um, let me start by uh, stepping uh, one step back from the present day. Um, you know uh, the tradition of uh, eyewitnesses or participants in various uh, important uh, historic events or important events, uh, penning their thoughts, writing about uh, their experiences uh, is a tradition which goes long back. It's not uh, a 21st century phenomenon. If you go back and look at Indian history, some of the best source materials of human, of Indian history are from those memoirs. So look at um, Megasthenes Indica. Uh, he was a uh, envoy uh, to the Mauryas. Um, you can look at others, Al-Biruni, or you can look at Buddhist travelers, Fahian and Chuanzang. Now, all these have been inputs for our understanding of um, our history. Uh, incidentally, if you look at some of these, most of them are by um, non-Indians. So the tradition of uh, 
understanding history or important events through eyewitness accounts is not a new one. And that tradition, uh, unfortunately, in the past, uh, as far as India was concerned, was largely a tradition which was uh, viewing these things from the prism of uh, others other than Indians, because largely we were a oral tradition, not a written tradition. Uh, largely, I'm not saying that there were exceptions. Now, if that is the point, over the years, uh, there have been uh, participants uh, in our history who tell all tales. I mean, uh, let us look at the father of our nation, Mahatma Gandhi. Uh, his uh, writings, his uh, books, his uh, tell-all features of his life are there for all to see. Uh, and we have all gained from it. So the point that uh, uh, we can, uh, of course, gain and the public is better informed of activities, um, including those taken for the benefit of our own country's interests, uh, are best when they are shared from different perspectives. And that should be the broad theme. Increasingly, following that thinking, large number of people in different levels have written. Uh, uh, the former leader of the opposition, Sri Advaniji, has written an excellent book about his own experiences, etc., and all. Uh, so I think this is a tradition we should enlarge and increase in a generic sense. Let's take that as the background. Now, of course, we come to this issue of uh, national security and the public's right to know. Uh, some people view it as pulling in different directions because they feel that there's always a tension between the government's desire to keep information secret on uh, national security grounds and the public's right to information held by public authorities. Now, there is this um, tension which is always there, but I acknowledge that there is a near universal consensus among decision makers, not only in India, but elsewhere too, that some measure of secrecy is justified and necessary to protect authorized national security activities such as intelligence gathering, military operations, sometimes confidentiality of deliberations, sometimes personal privacy and other reasons. Uh, so what is important is in this broader picture, uh, there needs to be a proportionality um, that the solutions that are offered need to be in proportion to the problems that you have encountered. Uh, and that's where the uh, Official Secret Act com comes in. Um, uh, even retired officials are bound not to reveal issues which come under the ambit of that because that's where they got to know of it when they were serving. Um, uh, uh, whether this has been... Um, ridden roughshod by individual officers, if that is so, then action should be taken against those individual officers. So my, my general uh, approach would be, we need to do anything that we want to do in proportion. I am not somebody who's engaged in uh, the activities which are now sought to be fine-tuned. So I cannot get into the nitty gritty of that, but I would say that in any issue, a balance, a proportionality uh, needs to be 
uh, done, but globally, there is no issue whether you look at international covenants, Indian constitution, Indian law, there will always be provisions that justify some measure of secrecy on certain issues. Right, right. So in a, in a democracy, the public uh, has a right to know. That is where the premise uh, of why we have the right to uh, information and a lot of accountability measures that are being built into our governance systems. Now, national security and intelligence services particularly, these have been uh, uh, has in a kind of no-go area as far as information sharing is concerned. Uh, already we have debates which are ongoing about how should uh, these bodies be held accountable to, to, to democratic institutions, maybe parliamentary accountability. Those questions remain. So we are taking this measure at a time when we are not sure whether India's intelligence agencies or national security operations in general are accountable to public. So therefore, this is my question to you, uh, Mr. Pillay. You've been you know, the, the, the head of the Home Ministry, under which all most of these operations at least fall under. Uh, so do you think there we are suffering from we, the problem that we have to address is too much of information being in public domain or too less transparency in the functioning of our national security apparatus? See, one of the important ways in which uh, information is actually given to the public is by what we call as declassification de of uh, the files and the security, especially those files which we keep confidential and secret and top secret and so on. Most such files uh, are what we say at the end of 30 years, uh, we are supposed to do a very rigorous examination and then declassify most files. Uh, you know, under the in America and all under the Freedom of Information Act, after a particular period, except for those which are some sentences or words are redacted, most of it is available now to the public domain in the public domain. Now, uh, the, the the real importance uh, for in India is that we don't declassify information which is there, say, 30 years ago. Most files could be declassified. I'll just give you an example of uh, you know the Henderson Brooks report of 1962 war. Now it's more than what 50 years plus. I really don't think there's anything in that report which we should really be worried about now uh, uh, to be if it comes in the public domain. Maybe you know it has some bearings on, but it, it's totally irrelevant now that somebody may have you know uh, not looked at it properly and so on. There's been enough reports, readings, writings, and so on. And copies of that is actually out in the internet itself. So why are we keeping it a secret? So, and therefore, because you're keeping it a secret, there's a lot of speculation about what is there and what is not there in the report. So I think that is that part, if the declassification of information took place, also it will give a lot of information out and people can write, you know, uh, research articles as well as uh, books on what is the declassified information that is available. I'll give you another example. Uh, you know, the Justice Mukherjee report on the uh, Subhash Chandra Bose uh, death. Now the Justice Mukherjee report was, uh, you know, years ago, and yet we've kept on getting information under RTI, please give us extracts of this, extracts of that. And I, I took the view as Home Secretary saying that, look, the Justice Mukherjee report runs into lakhs of pages. 
and for us to be spending money trying to in the home ministry to make copies and give people who are asking for information best thing is to say i declassify it send it to the national archives and all those who want it can collect it from there because it's now in the public domain in the national archives so it is sent there and people can those who want to can look at it or send the rti application to the national archives and get copies the home ministry should not be bothered about it i agree with uh, what ambassador has said that by and large the emphasis should be let as much come into the public domain the officers should be sensitive enough because especially if they are senior officers they should be sensitive enough to make sure that operational or information that might affect current uh, workings should not come into your book because you've been in the sensitive security uh, organization and my general impression is because from my experience in most almost all cases they do get an informal vetting done by the current head of the department would you i would think you, if that would, system uh, would you be followed or made yeah that do you think that was a reasonable system where the current uh, I think, uh, yeah yeah i think so if you are if you are an ib or a uh, rndw officer and if you are writing some memoir or you are writing about some uh, incident or some aspect if you can show your draft to the current head of the uh, ib or rndw and if he says i have no problems with your publishing this i think that should be enough hmm. All right. So, Ambassador, again, slightly uh, stepping back to the global scenario, in democracies such as even the United States, there is a challenge that the the security agencies put out a story, which the public will have no way to verify independently, barring some investigative journalism, which again will be dependent on some other uh, intelligence uh, officials or government officials who are willing to share that uh, information. So here we are going around in circles. there is no way uh, what is being protected as information for a, for the purpose of national security being brought to a public scrutiny so that while both of you are broadly in agreement with the fact that the the tendency should be towards more transparency do you fear do you notice that actually the direction that democracies in general uh, are taking is in the opposite they want to be in control of more and more information um so um you know reconciling these um, divergent interests of national security and the right of public to know is always an ongoing challenge i mean i don't think anybody has been able to get it exactly right a stable security policy is always hard to achieve since the boundaries of official secrecy cannot be clearly articulated in the abstract and national security issues keep evolving and sometimes dramatically evolving so you will always have a um unsatisfactory situation in this so we need to start with that premise but that said um i will uh, take again a step back and go to where uh, mr pille mentioned about declassification now declassification is an important tool in raising public awareness after a specified period now in our case there are two issues one is sometimes uh, we are less than forthright about declassification uh, as some examples that he has given uh, but in the beginning we are also more conservative about classification itself 
you know, if you overly classify something uh, which perhaps need not have been classified, the classification of that becomes a much more difficult exercise, even if it's not uh, required. There are n number of examples of situations. For example, uh, five years ago, uh, or, or less than that, we contested many elections in the UN, and one was a very tough election. And at that time, we sent some messages, cables, etc., and all, which uh, at that time made sense. What was this? But today, it's down the line. Everybody knows what happened. The success was ours. Do we still need to uh, uh, classify it uh, in a certain manner? So both declassification as well as classification is an important thing. And then I'll come to your issue of democracies. Now, uh, uh, we need to uh, understand that, do we want uh, an explosion of deep throats? That if you block all avenues of information or gradually reduce them, then you will have to resort to the deep throat thought uh, kind of activities, which is not good for a evolving society or any society. So uh, the US itself moved long beyond deep throat. Um, and, but what has happened is, I think after 9 11, uh, there has been a uh, concern on national security. And that's where we can trace a lot of uh, issues relating to national security uh, being tightened up. So the phenomenon of tightening up of um, uh, information, non-disclosure of information can be traced back to, I would say, almost two decades. It's not a new phenomenon of new, uh, democracies, etc., but it goes back to the sudden existential the fears that were done uh, relating to the war against terrorism, that it being an existential threat, etc., uh, of course, as that has uh, moved on, uh, you haven't been able to roll back some of those. Uh, in fact, once uh, you are in that space, it is difficult to roll back those because uh, that's the nature of the beast that uh, once there is a status quo, you find it difficult to pull back. So I would think that as um, it is based on uh, you, If you feel a sense of crisis, if there is a pervasive uh, concern that uh, as a society you feel, all these barriers will come up. As it eases up uh, in terms of a broader phenomenon, this will ease up because this is a smaller part of a bigger whole of concern of national security, national interest, uh, threats, uh, mounting threats, etc. Uh, so until those are addressed, I would say that this individually will not be addressed so easily. Right. right. I think both of you uh, are also broadly in agreement with the fact that the restriction that you are uh, uh, favoring is based on the calculations of operational uh, questions. As long as sharing of information with the public is not causing a harm to the country's operational capabilities, both of you seem to be okay with the sharing of information. Am I right, uh, Mr. Pillay? I'll come to you first. Yeah, I think so too. I think, you know, and I think it's a, it's a timely context. You know, I just get this very simple example, just two sentences. You know, during the 1971 war, 
I mean, every time Pakistan said that, you know, India is uh, interfering in Bangladesh, etc., we denied it throughout 1971 till the war was over. Right. Subsequently, after that, any number of books have been written by from, you know, top army commanders to uh, BSF to other people who have said how they operated inside Bangladesh starting from whatever March or even earlier to that. So, I don't think it, now it really doesn't make any difference to us that whether at that time, yes, there's a political uh, imperative in diplomacy, etc. to say we are not interfering in the internal affairs of another country. Today, I think it doesn't make any difference if somebody writes about, about it. And I think people have written and I, think, I don't think the Official Secrets Act or anything has been invoked against anybody who has written about that. Though technically, it may have been possible to invoke some of these acts against them, right? Yeah, because it, it was our official policy uh, at that time. And we denied it uh, in all forums that we never in, interfered in inside Bangladesh, uh, inside East Pakistan. You think that overclassification is a problem and we could afford to be much more liberal than we currently are in terms of declassifying information. Am I right? Oh, yes. Declassification, I think, is an area which uh, everybody plays safe way. But I, I think at least as a general hint, I think at least 50% of the top secret and secret files in government of India can be declassified straight away. I mean, I would put it as uh, an off-the-cuff remark based on what I know. Easily 50% can be done, and it has, some of it has been done. I remember uh, thousands of files being declassified when I was uh, in the Home Ministry, but we've still got uh, thousands more which could be done, and this is not something which is a priority uh, work for the, uh, the department. And that is why I'm also in favor of uh, a, a time limit like you know, the United States has, you know, you put 30 years or 40 years or whatever you want to put it, at the end, end of 40 years, Everything you should just declassify yeah. automatically declassified whether somebody does it or not. Right. So you have to do, if you want to keep it, then you have to actively say this file is not being, but otherwise it automatically gets declassified. Right. So Ambassador Akbaluddin, uh, again, I, I would seek a comparison from you again. Uh, so do you think compared to other democracies, India is relatively more stricter when it comes when it comes to sharing of uh, official secrets, quote unquote. So, um, if you look at the tradition of this uh, transparency efforts, the first such effort actually goes back to, uh, to Europe. I think it's uh, Sweden or something in 1776, because then the Parliament wanted access to uh, um, the executive authority. However, um, it is only in the latter or, in fact, towards the end of the 20th century and the beginning half of the 21st century that this proliferation of what we call the right to information uh, in the Indian context has uh, proliferated globally. Uh, they were also after the East Europeans in, uh, 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 moved out of the Soviet bloc they came up with this, uh, others came up, and India was also one of those. So there are, I think, about between 95 to 100 countries today who have these disclosure uh, arrangements in place. Uh, also, uh, uh, they still haven't covered the entire expanse because there are, uh, of course, uh, caveats to this. But if you sit back and see in historical context, 
availability of information uh, is certainly much more now than it was say 25 years ago or 30 years ago uh, whether it is adequate my answer would like mr pillay be no uh, uh, whether it should be expanded my answer would be yes whether it should be absolute my answer again would be no because no right to freedom of expression can be absolute it will always be restricted in the certain context and it will be best for all of us if these are clarified from time to time because these keep uh, circumstances keep evolving and clarification and enunciation of this is a part of the growth of transparency um uh, whether in india or elsewhere and certainly we need that consistent and regular approach to expanding that scope so uh, we have a few minutes left and i have the same question to both of you who uh, both of you are custodians of quite a bit of uh, official and national secrets which you have accumulated through your uh, careers so now uh, if uh, what would be the blurb of your uh, memoirs as an indian diplomat uh, uh, ambassador have you thought about it how much will you be willing to reveal what will be your consideration as uh, uh, when it comes to how much to tell to balance the public interest and uh, the 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 existing regulations and your own intellectual honesty how will you frame that uh, thing your book i am assuming that you will have a book soon uh, well you are not assuming wrong i am working on something yeah uh, so i as a, a citizen of a free and democratic country um, uh, which is based on free flow of information and the right to uh, of the public to awareness of situations start from that premise that uh, as much as is feasible to reveal without of course revealing national secrets or um, uh, difficult situations uh, where policy you see in policy debates it can happen you may have differences of opinion and uh, the the differences of opinion can be reflected without uh indicating where individuals are involved etc so um i would come from the proposition that greater transparency uh, greater public awareness and the tradition of uh eyewitnesses providing factual perspectives of their own uh should be my pathway forward uh, uh, it's not a new pathway as i said i traced it back to thousands of years so in that pathway if uh, we can be small footnotes i would be happy to be that small footnote in sharing uh, at, at at a broader level what uh, are uh, issues that uh, were uh, of interest and remain of perennial interest uh, for uh, the broader public correct that is very well put so i uh, let me come to you uh, mr pillay so I'll, i i shall recall this uh, comment of uh, former prime minister pv narasimha rao who was asked about uh, india us conversations i think in the run up or immediately after the nuclear explore, uh, explosion or uh, some, some some related stuff in the 80s so he said uh, th- those secrets will perish with me bishopley uh, how much of what you know you do you think will you be able to share in a book format or in a public lecture at some point in your time 50% of all that you know could be shared 
or how how would you no, i think i think about 80% can be shared some 20% can't be shared partly because uh, the people uh, involved are still uh, there are contemporaries living contemporaries and uh, you don't want uh, especially if they are in the political sphere you don't want either their opponents or the other way around both sides to be able to take advantage of what you have written to so that those are some of the reservations that we have when uh, we are thinking of in fact uh, putting pen to paper uh, but uh, in so far as general administration governance issues policy i don't think uh, there is not much of a problem in trying to put some of the things down i think uh, many uh, is officers have done it i haven't done it i still have some reservations partly because of uh, uh, more of controversies than uh, than otherwise so i been a little bit more circumspect in that you so you you've been heading the home ministry uh, as a secretary at a very crucial time there were a lot of things that uh, uh, public would like to know more about so are you at some point think of uh, thing in terms of writing a book are you working on one already or Mm, yeah, I think of it, but uh, not at the moment. I'm not working at it. Maybe a little later. All right. Okay. So on that note, we will conclude. I thank you so much, Mr. G. K. Pillai and Ambassador Rakhbaruddin. I look forward to reading Ambassador Rakhbaruddin's book soon, and uh, definitely we I we look forward to reading Mr. Pillai also, as, and uh, we would urge it, him to write. Thank you so much, both of you, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.